Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Babes of Valhalla. Content may not be suitable if you are underage, closed-minded, or immature. We discuss topics that are graphic and sexual in nature. Hello everyone, this is Miss Charlie, and I wanted to start a new segment that hopefully I'll do once a month or once every other month where we look at and honor the hose harlots and heroes of history. We're gonna look at people who fought for sex worker rights, against prejudice, and created a legacy that was often forgotten or ignored or purposely destroyed. So lots of people to look out for that. (laughs) Not a shortage of that within the sex worker industry, which is why I really wanted to look at it. I also know that finding these people is harder than just a basic Google search because I have done plenty of Google searches and it is not as readily available information. Uh, You do have to do a little bit of digging. There's a short list that you can find for sex worker advocates um, and historical figures, but I just thought it'd be nice to try to dig in a little deeper do some actual research and some reading and share what I find with with you. I know that I have a lot of learning to do and I thought it would be fun to share some of that with you awesome people out there. Also, I want to look across a lot of different forms of sex work from full service sex work to cam work to stripping to dom work So really trying to go all over the place and highlight amazing figures from everywhere, which what a great way to honor all sides of the fight and all sides of our history. Hello everyone. I would like to pause this episode really fast to apologize for mispronouncing Marsha's name. I have actually gone back and re-edited the episode, so that is correct. Um, I am dyslexic, which is not an excuse, but maybe a little bit of an explanation. I have read her name so many times. I've read articles on her, took a class about her, watched documentary on her, but in my mind, I still registered her name as Martha for some reason, and it wasn't until I released the episode and realized that it was not Martha, in fact, but Marsha. So I've gone back and I have changed her name uh, in the episode so that it is correct, and I am so sorry for, for misnaming her and doing any disjustice to the wonderful person she was and the wonderful work she did. So with that apology, I would like to introduce the rest of my episode, which is maybe as much as a history lesson for me as it is for you. Without further ado, here is the re-edited episode. Um, For today's show, I'm going to do a brief history of someone 
that many of you probably already know, and if you don't, well then, uh, I'm glad you're listening. Um, we are going to be looking at the amazing Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, you might have seen her recently in social media. Her image and story have been circulating because of the recent BLM movement and the fight for equality within the adult industry. I first learned of Martha's story in college in a queer studies class when a professor asked how many of us knew who she was, and I guess not very surprisingly, nobody in my class raised their hand. Um, And she was shocked. She was completely shocked. But within our culture, if you're not looking, or if you don't know where to look, sometimes finding that information can be very difficult. Growing up in the Midwest, I definitely didn't have an education that focused on this community. Uh, We didn't really have much within education within the queer community at all. So finding somebody who's uh, a queer woman of color, trans, sex worker, definitely not somebody that my little school was focusing on when we barely even had any sex education outside of abstinence. So yeah, this was definitely not on the list. But I was so thankful to learn about her because it was kind of the beginning of the thread for me. Um, I started to unravel a little bit of uh, sex worker history. This can be a little thread for you too and for this segment in general. And she will be our segue into the future. There's a lot of fantastic articles, um, books, short videos, and a whole wonderful documentary written all about her. So I would definitely check those out if you would like to learn more, which you should. It's always good to know more, but here is a very brief history of the amazing Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson. So, Marsha was a queer woman of color living in New York City. At the time, transgender was not a commonly used word. As far as Marsha was concerned, she just wanted to dress as a woman every day. Whether she labeled herself as transvestite, a drag queen, or just part of the gay community. Because of her gender expression, Marsha and others like her had difficulties with the mainstream culture. Prejudice kept her out of jobs, social settings, communities, and housing. And Marsha, in response, turned to sex work to help support herself. Marsha was also a performer and an avid advocate for gay rights. On June 28, 1969, Marsha P. Johnson arrived at the Stonewall Inn around 2.30 in the morning. At this time, as in most places in the United States, there was a lot of anger, hatred towards the queer and gay community, and sodomy, as it was called, was outlawed in most places. The morning of the 28th, there was a raid by police officers on the Stonewall Inn, busting all of the queer people who were gathering at the bar. A huge riot erupted where uh, the community stood up for their rights, their ability to congregate peacefully wherever they choose, 
And it is said that Marsha actually picked up a shot glass and threw it at a mirror and screamed, I've got my rights. It has been referred to as the shot glass heard round the world because this was the start of the Stonewall Riots. And for any of you that are unfamiliar with the Stonewall Riots, the Stonewall Riots lasted two nights and it started at the Stonewall Inn and then erupted throughout New York City at various LGBT bars or LGBTQ uh, venues gathering places. It was the start of the gay liberation movement where the queer community finally took a stand for equality in a way that maybe they hadn't been able to before. And a year later, to commemorate the riots, they decided to have this large demonstration where People would walk in the streets and remember what happened one year ago at the Stonewall Inn. And it was called Christopher Street Liberation Day. And there would be no dress or age regulations at the demonstration, which is actually something we can still see now uh, because this is what we now know as the Pride Festival. It is just a tradition that has been carried over from 1970 to celebrate that moment when the gay liberation movement started gaining traction. Now, unfortunately, just the same way as there are heteronormative issues that prevented gay culture from um, integrating into mainstream society earlier, and if you guys don't know what heteronormative means, the belief that heterosexuality, which is straight, binary, cisgendered sexuality, is the default, should be the preferred sexual orientation, and is like the normal, natural attraction. So this construct creates a lot of issues for people who do not fit inside of that box, which is a lot of people. Even people who are straight, cisgendered people sometimes fall, uh, have a hard time falling within heteronormative boundaries if maybe the way that they act or the way that they express themselves doesn't fall into that very small box of what is expected of a straight cisgendered person. But there is also something called homonormative. I actually looked up a description of homonormativity just so that I would be really clear with what this means, and homonormativity refers to the belief that sexual minorities can and should conform to heteronormative institutions and mores in order to achieve greater acceptance into dominant society. Homonationalism is the granting of rights to homonormative sexual minorities within a nationalistic ideological framework. So what all that means is if the queer community is not accepted in heteronormative community, then the way that a homonormative community would attempt to move forward is to put at the forefront the individuals who most represent the heteronormative culture. To break that down even more, what you're going to do is you're going to pick out your white 
well-educated, well-adjusted members of society who appear the least abject, the least threatening to whatever that heteronormative culture is, and they're going to lead the movement. They're going to become the acceptable form of that minority. And you can see this a lot in our culture, where there is a very well-dressed, very well-educated, oftentimes white, gay best friend who is kind of this comic relief, somebody for usually the female character to use and cry on and and get sassy remarks. That would be the most acceptable form of the queer community. It's the least threatening. It's the most clean. It's the most understandable to somebody who has a hard time thinking outside of those rigid heteronormative boundaries. So when people like Marsha P. Johnson and others like her were helping with the gay liberation movement, they were often placed in the background. Their work was used to advance the movement, but then there was a lot of problems when it came to certain rights and regulations for the queer community, and a lot of trans people were still left out of the conversation. Um, In the documentary, The Life and Death of Marsha P. Johnson, they actually go into this quite a bit more, where they show the issues that Sylvia Rivera brings up with this problem, where she fought tirelessly alongside Marsha for... Um, visibility, Um, but when certain members of the queer community started to become accepted, they, not all of them, but there was this movement that kind of turned their back on those who did not fit as cleanly into that homonormative category. I feel like this is a very important thing to bring up for so many reasons. First of all, it's important to acknowledge that this happens in our history a lot. There, there's a huge problem within feminism between the idea of feminism for all and white feminism and understanding that in history, a lot of the times that we made breakthroughs within women's rights, it was mostly in white women's rights and that in order for us to move forward, we thought the only way we could do it is by leaving minorities behind. And you see it again in the gay liberation movement. Obviously, we made huge strides, but there were members of the community who decided that the only way to push forward was to leave those minorities that didn't fit as cleanly in to the construct behind. And I think that it's important when talking about sex work to think about it the same way. It's easy to isolate or demonize a part of sex work and then promote and highlight other parts of it. And the most important thing we can do moving forward is make sure that sex workers from all categories, from all minorities are are remembered, are represented, and are not excluded from the conversation. Anyway, much of what Marsha did on this day has been debated. Much of her story has become part of the lore of that night, 
And who knows, maybe she threw a brick at a police officer. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she threw the shot glass. Maybe she didn't. Different people say different things. But what is important is that she was there. People remember that she was there. And because of the person that she was and her courage, they have created all of these stories, true or not. It doesn't necessarily matter. She was there and she was fighting for what she believed in, which was equality. After this, she went on to start an organization with her friend, Sylvia Rivera, um, that it was called STAR, which was the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. And uh, they worked to provide food and support for other people on the street who found themselves out of work and out of help. And many of these people were trans people. On July 6th, 1992, Marsha's body was found in a river and the police wrote it off as a suicide. Many of her friends, even though they knew that she had issues with mental health, still didn't believe that she was capable of suicide. Unfortunately, it was never fully investigated, and the investigation has come up multiple times uh, over the last 30 years, but nothing has really been discovered. And this ends up being a story we've heard a lot with sex workers throughout history. It's still a huge problem, and the further back we go in time, the worse it becomes. Over the last 30 years, it has been brought up multiple times by many different people looking back at her story and trying to discover what happened to her. Even though Marsha passed away, her legacy continues and the work she did continues and even her death points out the issues within our society and it caused many people to rally up around around that cause and to point a finger at the police and I'm just so happy to still see that all these years later, her image, her story, not just of her death, but of her life, of her accomplishments that may have been forgotten, may have been looked over, are now becoming more widely known, more widely talked about, and, and celebrate her as a member of the sex worker community and as an amazing woman who helped start the gay liberation movement. And I think as long as we're all working together as a community in all elements of, of these minority fights, that we will only be stronger. So here's one to Marsha, your awesome girlfriend, and thank you for everything you've done. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my little sloppy soapbox. <laughs> I know I'm not always the most eloquent, but this alien is doing her best to learn about your human culture. And uh, hopefully you learn something, too. If you have someone you would like to suggest or have a story that you'd like to talk about, or if I made a huge mistake and you're like, what are you doing, Charlie? You're fucking up history. <laughs> you, 
You can leave all comments, questions, concerns in an email and send it to babesofvalhalla at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Instagram at the Babes of Valhalla, where we are always posting uh, little images, thoughts, episode art, as well as funny quotes from past episodes. Uh, you could always DM us there and give us a like. If you like our show, uh, if you think somebody else you know would like our show, we are just a two-person crew just making this ourselves in our downtime. And if you like us and want to support us, uh, any sort of review or sharing of content would be greatly appreciated. All right, my beautiful humans and aliens alike. Um, this little space witch is gonna buzz back into outer space. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, stay nasty. Babes of Valhalla is written and produced by the Babes of Valhalla, otherwise known as your illustrious lieges, Darby and Charlie. Music provided by the musical genius, Gemini Genesis. Research for this episode was done using articles 1970, a first-person account of the first gay pride march by Fred Sargent, a brief history of the gay and lesbian rights movement in the U.S. from the University of Kentucky, Marsha P. Johnson, a black transgendered woman, was a central figure in the gay liberation movement by Christina Maxoris, as well as some definitions from Dictionary.com and the amazing documentary on Netflix, The Life and Death of Marsha P. Johnson.